This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, redemption, and recovery. We share our experience, strength, and hope. Good evening. This is episode number 20, Sacred, Part 2. It's going to be a follow-up from our prior conversation that we had, which was pretty awesome, I thought, but it was a little bit personal, so selfish in that way, very rambly. Um, I'm going to try to keep bringing the anecdotes because I think they do go to that greater story of gratitude and the person who wanted what's best in life for you and for me, and also just perhaps some interesting just some interesting tales that help help you know bring some light to people's lives. So this is sacred part two. As always, um, this is not an AA meeting. This is not meant to be an AA meeting. It is not meant to supplant your 12-step program. It is just meant to be a candle in the darkness that you can find light and maybe some comfort hopefully pass the light on to someone else who's suffering. Second, not a mental health professional. I don't have a degree in mental health. I don't purport to practice in mental health field, um, but I do encourage everyone to have a mental health provider, counselor, uh, psychologist, anything, really. They're so helpful, believe me. Um, it's a real shame that people have a stigma surrounding that uh, because they're just we all need we all need a coach we all need somebody in our corner and boy it's nice to to get that it's really sad that you actually have to have like a diagnosis or something in order to get you know a counselor involved um but such is life strongly encourage everyone to have that Number three, spiritual foundation of all our traditions is anonymity, and I ask that you respect my anonymity, and I will respect yours. And if you need to reach me, extravagantpromisespodcast at gmail.com or at extravagantpromises on Instagram. On with the show. So last episode, I talked about a woman named Aldegunda Tagan Huaman. And uh, she was known to me as Ding. And as I said last time, there I don't know a life before Ding. And um, for 50 years, well, I guess actually for 48 years, um, she was a part of my life. And then she passed away shortly after my 50th birthday. And... Um, you know, there are times when I can say I, I don't really want to know a life after her, but I know that she would whoop my ass if she heard me saying that. You know, so dang, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep fighting for you. I'm gonna keep. You know, I know you'd be proud of me for being sober. I know you'd be proud of me for being a good father, doing the things I've done, especially the last five years. And um, I know there's some things I've done that you wouldn't be happy with, but I but you know. I'm standing on your shoulders. You you did everything. You gave your life for me. So I would never say that that I that I don't want a life 
after you, but it's hard um, because you were everything to me. And and like I said, ladies and gentlemen, you know I didn't I didn't know a life before her. Um, it's a very interesting tale, and I think it just kind of really more of a tale of Southern Gothic kind of and a tale of you know the beauty of life and how interesting things are and how God gives you things. You know, I was. I had a lot of good things in my life, but I also had a lot of bad things in my life. And um a lot of a lot of harm came to me from places where it should never come. And um uh, but you you think about like Jesus, you know, the story of the footsteps in the sand, and you think about God giving you what you need, you know, and, and it's like, man, God took care of me when he put Ding in my life as my mother and my the the, the true mother of 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 everything that was good, everything that I could be good at. Um, I love the boy that I am, the man that I am when I'm around Ding and when I was around her and when I lived up to her expectations. You know, I was an honest I loved, I was loving, I was kind. I didn't curse a lot, not too much at least. You know, I, I was respectful. And I'll tell you what, I would fight like a wild animal for her if she needed me to. Um, I like I like who I am because of her. You know, I like I like the person that she that she loved. And and it's cool. So, I'm just going to tell some stories and kind of build in some things and I think talk about life and my life and kind of recovery and I mean, there's a recovery message in here somewhere, I'm sure. So, uh again, this is all very very selfish, I think. Extremely selfish on my part. It's a it's an expression of gratitude, but it's selfish because it's very nourishing to me and I'm not exactly sure you're going to find this to be right on point in recovery or your recovery. But maybe maybe it'll just kind of make you smile or make you feel love and gratitude, sort of like that Fred Rogers, you know, graduation speech did. So, um you know, who di- who was ding to me? Um like I said, she was my mother. She was she was the person that wanted what was best in life for me. She was she was like kind of like a saint, you know, like if you think about Mother Teresa, she kind of looked like Mother Teresa, except she wasn't a Catholic nun, you know, she didn't have that. But she she looked like her, you know, she in her older age especially had this long hair. You know how Mother Teresa was like Albanian or something and had like a very dark complexion. Ding was was had very dark skin, very dark complexion. Um, she was from an island called Mindanao, which is in the very southern part of the Philippines. And um, you know, Ding Ding was uh, Ding was had had long, long jet black hair until it turned gray. You know, but uh, um, you know, so when I see those pictures of Mother Teresa with kind of her bony hands, kind of a little bit kind of hunched over, you know, that's sort of like what I think about with Ding, you know, in her older years, just this person of just who absolutely could have had anything in the world. I mean, I would have given her anything, any amount of money that I could have given her, I would have, and she would never accept anything. If we gave her gifts, she would like hide them or, you know, or give them away or something. I mean, she just was absolutely frugal to a fault, or maybe not to a fault. But she was the most frugal person I ever met. She saved everything. She wasn't a hoarder. She had very simple. She had very limited things. She just very simple and 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 didn't need much. You know, she could do magic in the kitchen with um, basic things. 
She hated Whole Foods. Um, she hated things like that. She hated frou-frou stuff, and she hated fancy organic things. She liked Food Lion, and she liked the Asian market. She liked going to basic, you know, like Kroger and stuff and buying like Tide and, and like Procter & Gamble goods, you know, and she could make amazing things out of all those basic goods, you know. She didn't like things that said organic or, you know, <laughs> with some exception, though, I will say one story. So the only thing that Ding ever <laughs> ever accepted as a gift, um, I don't know if I've talked about this, but I used to be a competitive equestrian, uh, you know, like competed in what's called show jumping and things like that. And I had a horse. Uh, I've had a bunch of horses, but I had a I had a horse that I had down in a stable uh, in North Carolina, and um, I was in graduate school and. Ding was living with me and we would go out to the barn and we would just hang out and, you know, I'd ride and jump stuff and mess around and all. And Ding would just hang out. You know, we'd drive out there together and we'd talk and we'd, you know, I'd like to say that we went to dinner and stuff, but she would never go to dinner with me. And, you know, I mean, only a few times in a few places would she allow that to happen. She liked to cook and she did not like other people to cook. And she certainly did not like other people to cook for me. Um, you know, she would, she just, if, and if I'd, God forbid, if I tried to cook for her, she would spit the food out and talk about how gross it was. You know, she, she, maybe she'd pretend, you know, a little bit and kind of, oh yeah, that was nice. But on the whole, she'd just be like, no, it's, yes, no, it's disgusting. You know, don't do that again. Let me cook. Cause she, that was, that was what she, that was her way. That was her language of love was keeping me fed, you know, keeping me healthy, you know, like a mom. And we would go out to this barn, and I'd be covered in dust, and I'd, you know, whatever. And Ding would feed my horse peppermints and stuff. She loved doing that. And um, and she would um, she would play with the Jack Russells that were out there. And I was driving her home to our where I lived, and she said, you know, I wish I had one of those Jack Russells. Or if I ever had a dog, I'd like a dog like that. We'd had dogs all over our, you know, houses and farm, whatever. But, um, I mean, you, you talk about my ears pricking up and being like, oh, my God, Ding just told me so she wanted something. And you got to think, this is, I'm probably 26 years old at this point, um, 25, 26, and I'm just like, oh, man, Ding just gave me the word. So, um, for Christmas that year, 1992, so I would have been 25 um, we got ding, uh, some friends of my parents, you know, everybody wanted to do something for everybody. It was like a competition, you know, among people. When I put the word out, ding has said she wants something. She wants a Jack Russell Terrier. I mean, it was like a line of people who were like, well, I want to be the one to give her the dog, you know? And so ding got this dog named Dick and she called him Dickens and he was a Jack Russell Terrier. And this thing turned into the Jack. He was a Jurassic Jack. I mean, it was the biggest goddamn jack russell terrier i've ever seen and i swear it's because she made this dog so f big and muscly and fat just through love you know and that thing loved her and she loved dickens but she would not let dickens drink tap water dickens now this is a person who hated anything fancy but dickens could only drink 
Evian. She would pour. She would get Evian. She wouldn't drink it. I don't think she would. Drink. She would. She she liked regular Coke, regular Coca Cola. Never diet. She hated diet things. All this stuff, even though she was so skinny. Um. Anyway, and she um, she would uh, she would Dickens could only drink Evian. If you fed, if you gave him tap water, like if I was like, yeah, I gave him some water, you know, he would get like diarrhea and stuff, and she'd know that I'd kind of fibbed on what kind of water I gave him. So um. So I just I always found that kind of funny, you know. And I think the reason that she only wanted him to have Evian was because um, Ding developed a she developed Hodgkin's lymphoma, and um, I think it was Hodgkin's. I, I don't think it was non-Hodgkin's, but I'll be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, I do not know the difference. Whatever it is, it's called lymphoma, and it's bad, and it was cancer, and it was in her neck, and she had this um, big lump on her neck. And she would not get it checked. And I would beg her to go to the doctor. And finally, got her to the doctor. They said she's got cancer and they have to take this thing out. And I remember she had the surgery in northeast Louisiana. And I had to get down there. I had to get there to, to be with her. And I flew on a private... It wasn't a private. It was a, it was a, a flu commercial. But it was like I had to take like some... I don't know how I got, I got to take like, it was, I think it was called like Lanyap Airlines or, you know, Le Bon Ton Roulet, you know, some classic Louisiana thing, you know, airlines. And I had to fly through a rainstorm. I remember thunderstorm and they, they even, it was so bad. They had to land the plane and let people off who were like, if you don't want to continue on the flight, you know, <laughs> I don't know why they kept flying, but I was like, I got to get there, keep going. And so we flew, I mean, this is one of the things where I, where I remember people are holding hands across the aisle and saying prayers and stuff. And I was just like, if the plane goes down, that's fine, but I'm going to be there for dang. And, uh, we got there and I remember I was out on this dock in the bayou and, uh, you know, I'd gone to see her and stuff, and I remember this man who's very, very close, very good man. I'll, I'll probably talk about him at some point. He's passed away. He's like a mentor to me, and he loved Ding, too, and he came out, and he said, uh, he said they got the, you know, they biopsied the tumor on her neck that they took out, and it had cancer. Um, she's going to need to do all kinds of stuff, and, and I remember just sitting out there on that dock, you know, in the bayou, and... I just started crying, you know, like that kind of, there aren't a lot, you know, like I cry, I get, I get teared up. I'm a, I'm an emotional guy. I tear up. I, I'll, I'll, I'll cry. You know, I'm not, I'm not too manly to just do that kind of thing and get a little weepy here and there, but I don't, it's not a lot of time in my life that I've had that guttural, you know, like lying on the floor, just heaving, crying, you know, and I didn't do that that time, but that was one of those that was when I'll tell you a time in my life when I did cry like that. And that was when the day when my dad called me and told me that Ding had died. And I, I, I lost it, you know. I mean, I think it was time for Ding to, to go. But there was never a time for Ding to go, you know. And I just, man, I just, I, well, anyway. Okay, so she, you can, I think you get a flavor of what Ding was to me, and, and, and that'll come out in some of these. So there's kind of like a Southern Gothic kind of a flair that runs through all this story. And I would say um, some of the things that I think about are, you know, we lived, I, I, as I've said in prior podcasts, you know, um, before 
I was 14. I think I had lived in like 12 different places, um, or gone to 12 different schools and, you know, maybe more, you know, to be honest with you. Um, and with the exception of living, I mean, you can call the District of Columbia the North, but it's right there on the Mason-Dixon line. So, you know, if you consider D.C. in the South, uh, with the exception of four years in high school and a year in New York, you know, I pretty much lived all my life in the South in one place or another, of course, overseas. But, um, you know, Virginia, Louisiana, places like that, North Carolina, mostly in North Carolina. But, um, but you know, down in the Deep South, and in the north, you know, and what am I talking about? I actually lived in the north in uh, third grade too. So it just shows you I moved, moved a lot, a lot of different schools. That was hard on me. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where we come to town and you're different. You know, you're you're coming up to Newington, Connecticut, and you're the people from down south. And yeah, you got a dad who's a doctor, but it's like, you know, I mean, it was we were poor, you know, and and. We lived in this little, I remember we lived in this little, wasn't my, wasn't, I don't want to call it a shack, but it wasn't, my, it wasn't a very nice house, that's for sure. And, it, and my mom got a very deadly disease from things in that house. Um, it affected our life anyway, but Ding would be with us, you know, Ding's part of my life, Ding's part of my family. And so, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, you've got these, this, you know, this is the seventies, you know, and the eighties and stuff. And you're talking about people who is as far seventies and eighties, you know, you're talking about people don't, they're not open-minded. You know, they look at you, they see a, a woman who's dark, dark brown skin, who speaks with a foreign accent, sounds Asian, maybe kind of, you know, uh, uh, she spoke a language called Tagalog, which is Filipino. Um, you know, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to call you names. They're going to look at you funny. And God forbid, you know, they're going to they're refuse you service and things like that. It was horrible. And I remember I'm going to tell a little story here. So, you know, because I think about like xenophobia, you know, these towns. People say, oh, this is such a cute, charming little southern town. That's bullshit. You know, there are people down there, a bunch of racists, a bunch of xenophobes, you know, but that's everywhere be up north too you know country clubs and places like that in the north you know it's it, it small-minded people live everywhere you know and um but i remember we were i was little and we went to this i, I want to say it was like a shoney's or something or a i don't know what kind of, it's some sort of a restaurant roadside restaurant where you could stop but you could go in and sit down and we came in there to eat it was in chattanooga tennessee and they refused us service. It would not serve us because Ding was with us. And, um, you know, I never really knew Ding to get out of the car on our travels after that. Uh, my dad was so upset and angry. I mean, here's a guy who served in Vietnam, you know, and it's like, you know, he's a Division One football player, you know, but it was, you know, he knew she wouldn't, she wouldn't want us making a fuss, but it was like, hurt you it hurts you you know it hurts when you think about cruelty like that and um and i remember years later we were driving from louisiana to virginia and she and she was coming back with me to i don't know where we were going going back to college or going back to somewhere anyway after christmas and 
uh, we got to, you know, one of the routes you could go was to go up there through Gadsden and Alabama and then up through Chattanooga or that, that, that route. And, uh, you know, that Eastern Tennessee route. And I remember we got there right around, uh, dark, you know, and I said, Hey, you want to, you want to stop, you know, you want to get, dang, you want to stop and get some, get some food or maybe we'll just stop and get a, get a, a hotel room here. And she said, no. She would never contradict anything. She said, no, we, let's just keep driving. You know, think about that. Let's just keep driving. Do you mind if we keep driving? Sure. Hell yeah. I didn't even think about it till later. Oh, you know, okay, I get it. You know, it's funny because it's like it's okay to spend the night in Bristol, Tennessee or Bristol, Bristol, Virginia or Withville or somewhere like that. But... Just because of that memory, you know, someone had been, you know, refused us service. She didn't want to endure that again. I would never ask her to, you know. You know, I just, I think about that a lot. This Tennessee, those trips like that. And that wasn't the only time. I mean, like I said on the last podcast, you know, I'd be called, you know, well, let's just say the first word's the N-word and the second word is lover, you know. And people say, you know, and they'd come up to me and they'd say, you we hear you have a slave and stuff like you know, and you're just like that's not you know, you're talking about my mom that way. What, what you know? And um, even as I got older, even into adulthood, you know, if somebody if I felt somebody disrespected Ding, I cut them out. They you know they it, we those are that they, those are fighting words with me, you know. And you we're gonna we're gonna step outside, or you're gonna step outside and never come back. You know, is is how it was with me. Um, yeah, that happened. Um, so, um, you know, I think about, I think about that. I think about, you know, fear that I had. Um, my parents are very um, highly educated and successful types of people in some ways, you know, a lot of issues with them. But one of the things that I always I have a great deal of resentment towards is because I always felt like they you know they were able to do a lot of things as parents and and adults because of Ding. They were able to travel and leave us and do what you know, and and that was cool. We didn't mind, <laughs> but um, but they they didn't really take care of business, you know, in the sense of like, you know, here we are living in this little hick town in Louisiana, and um, you know, where people use language like that and they poke funny you whatever, and I'm going to some little public school where I'm afraid to go to school every day and all this and and you know and they're they're off in Tokyo or somewhere or you know and 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 Ding you know Ding can't drive and uh, you know and it's like it's not that I needed to be driven anywhere it's that what I was always afraid someone was gonna something was gonna happen to them and because Ding was foreign or whatever that they were going to separate us you know that they would they would take ding away from me and they would take my brother and i and separate us i was always afraid of that you know that's weird you know to grow up with that kind of fear you know despite all the you know the opportunities and the and the privilege and things like that that you have you know that's that's what i grew up with and i'll, I'll tell you a little story about that so one time i was um when I was looking, I went to a New England boarding school uh, for high school, which is very competitive. It was an awesome experience. But it was very competitive, intense, you know, one of these big, big storied places. And um, 
And when I went to go look, you know, I was in eighth grade and uh, we, we took a whole, I looked at more boarding schools than I did colleges. And, you know, we, we, we went up to Boston from Louisiana. We flew up there and spent a whole week going through all these schools and stuff and then ended up in uh, like Philadelphia or New York or somewhere and then flew home. And, um, you know, one of the things that I um, remember about that was I was at the airport in Louisiana, a little dinky little airport, and I remember I borrowed a dime from my dad. And he he was just like, what's up with you? And I said, I need a dime. And uh, he gave me a dime, and I went over to the payphone. I remember it was a dime back then, and there were payphones. So, <laughs> so we're talking it's 1970. It's actually 1980. Um and the reason I know that is because we were in Concord, Massachusetts, the night of the election when Ronald Reagan um, won the election. Uh, so, I, um, or maybe it was Concord, New Hampshire. Anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, I um, I went to the phone and I put that dime in that phone, and I called and Ding answered the phone, and I started crying. She said, "What's wrong?" I said, "Ding, I'm at the airport." And I'm afraid. And she said, what are you afraid of? I said, listen, if something happens to us, promise me you won't let them take Cole. You know, that's my brother. Take, let, won't let, don't, don't let them take him away from you. And she's like, it's going to be okay, you know, and all this. And I, I just, I remember just bawling because I was so afraid we were going to get into a plane crash and that, you know, you'd have this Filipino woman who doesn't have our last name, who, who, you know, who doesn't drive a car, have a driver's license, you know, and I thought they're going to take, they're going to, they're going to put my brother in a foster home or something like that, you know, because my parents haven't taken care of business and they won't, they'll have things set up and we're going to get, you know, something like that. That was what was for, first and foremost in my mind, you know, and that kind of shows you a little bit about, you know, the fear that you have. It's, it's, not, it's not really a realistic fear in a way, but it is. It's like it tells you a little bit about kids. It also tells you about your disease, you know, and those paranoias and these these weird fears that you have. Um, and it also kind of tells you about, you know, insecurity and things. Um, you know, you think, God, oh, you got a lot in life to be worried about. But that seems like one that's really strange, you know, and. And, uh, and that was the kind of fear I had because of the relationship. I loved her so much and I was, but yet, you know, as the seventies wore on and as we got into the eighties, you know, she, um, she became, she went from a legitimate, um, you know, uh, uh, legal visa status to undocumented, I suppose, not undocumented, but, you know, expired, I would say was what it was. And, um, you know, that would, it was just one of those things like, there, you know, there, there were things as a kid, you didn't really understand, you know, and this, this, this was like, I know it sounds like, you know, you're talking about like to kill a mockingbird and Calpurnia and Scott and all that. It just, it was like that, but it wasn't like that. You know, there was no question in my mind that this person was my mom. You know, this person was my family. You know, like, we weren't the same blood, but we were, you know. And so, you know, but you don't understand those things like legal immigration and illegal immigration or overstaying your visa or asylum or things like that. And, um, 
you know, you just you just know that you just know that there are good things in life. You know that somebody looks at you with love. Somebody would never hurt you or hit you, and they protect you when somebody else hits you, and um, they feed you and they take care of you and they love you and and they and you know that like, you know, people look at you funny or whatever, and you don't, you know, it hurts, but you it doesn't. You never think about changing it though. Um, so uh, maybe I'll turn to a little bit, some, a little better, some some happier topics on there. It's like. You know, uh, I can't I can't have a, a discussion about, you know, gratitude and ding and not talk about um, lemon chicken. <laughs> and the, the truth of it is, is that, you know, when I was um, I mean, I the number of times that my birth mother, my biological mother cooked me a meal um, in her life and she's almost 80. Uh, I, I mean, less than one handful, let's put it that way. Um, I mean, she does, yeah, there are times she'll have assistance or, you know, this and that, whatever, but no, I mean, you know, ding and, 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 and a little bit to my mom's credit, you know, ding, ding didn't let people help. You know, we would hire people to help ding. She would fire them. She would kick them out. She'd go, you know, run them off. Um, I mean, ding, ding spoke certain languages of love and that was how she communicated and that was what she was going to communicate and you weren't going to fuck with it <laughs> if you knew what was good for you um so ding in the in the in the 70s ding started creating this dish that was like it was like if you ever been to a chinese restaurant you had a lemon chicken um it was like that but it was better <laughs> and it was fresh and she would take these strips of chicken i don't know how she did it they were breaded but they were like thin, but long, but they were, oh my God, they were good. And they were like, and she would season the batter or do something. So they were dry, but they had like a tang to them, you know, a, I don't even know, a zest or something. I don't know if she had anything to go with them or not. I don't recall any kind of lemon sauce or anything like that, but she called it lemon chicken. And, and, um, we would, we would, you know, back then, you know, we would go, we, we went to the, we went to Colorado a couple times on, on ski vacations and, you know, maybe now you would fly, but I mean, back then that was going to, that was going to bankrupt a family. And so we would load up, uh, we would load up the Suburban or whatever, you know, giant vehicle at the time, you know, but we, th this is, think about this. So we would, we would drive from Louisiana, from Monroe, Louisiana, all the way to, um, like Breckenridge or Snowmass or something in Colorado. And it would take a couple days, you know, to get there. And we would have my mom and dad, my grandmother and grandfather, my brother, me, and Ding. So there were, um, there were seven of us in this car with ski gear, ski clothes, everything. I don't know if we'd have something on top or a trailer. I don't know what we did, but I think it was on, we'd had a thing on top of the car, but we would go out there and Ding would prepare a cooler full of food um, and we would it would just be this like delightful smorgasbord of delicacies until we ran out you know we wouldn't be five minutes from the house we would be I mean we'd be turning on to I-20 um Excuse me, I've got a little bit of a cold going. But we'd be turning on to I twenty, and she'd be we'd be like, "Dang, well, get, 
who's got the lemon chicken? You know, we'd be we'd be wearing that out, <laughs> tearing it up, and uh, eating that. You know, and then we'd go through Dallas, Dumas, Texas, Amarillo, Raton Pass, New Mexico. Boy, all those places, you know, and 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 it was just like we were just this little band, you know, like. Robinson Crusoe or something, you know, like we're just this little band of lost in space kind of thing. And, and it was all good as long as Ding was there for me, you know, and Ding didn't ski. Um, we tried to get her to ski. I tried to get her to learn how to ski and she would, she insisted on walking up the hill with her skis in her hands. And then she would put them on and ski down a little bit. And then she said she hurt her knee and she wasn't doing that anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but it was, it was, you know, we'd be like, come on, let's try it with us, you know? And, um, yeah, lemon chicken. And then, um, you know, Ding would, Ding would cook these Filipino dishes, um, like pancit, sutankun, uh, lumpia. Oh my God. If you people have never had real authentic lumpia made by you know, beautiful Filipino hands with that. Oh my God, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. Ding would make this stuff and it was like, they're like little like phyllo dough kind of little thin pastry crust with, with like a meat filling and they're long tubes. They're like a, like a cigar, like a giant cigar, long cigar, maybe like a Churchill size cigar and you're deep fried. And my mouth is freaking watering. And you have this kind of a brownish, like a teriyaki type glaze that you dip them in. And that, that damn lumpia, I mean, it is so freaking good. And like I said, pancetsu tanghun and adobo. Oh, chicken adobo. Dang, God, I miss your food. Oh, I miss you so much. She would just she would just get to wearing that stuff out. And, and, and we, you know, even as I got older, man, I'd have friends over and we were just... And and they all you know to be part of my to be part of my crew, you had to love Ding. You had to show respect to Ding. If you didn't, you were out. I'll never talk to you again. Um, and uh, but but if you were in, what well, Ding would Ding would love you, and she would take care of you. And and uh, um, mm. so then uh, you know one of my favorite dishes when I was a kid was pork chops. Ding would make these pork chops. I don't know what she did to them, but they were so tasty. And she would do it with fried rice. And I loved, you know, my parents would do, be doing something. I don't even know. But like I said, my, you know, my brother was kind of Ding's favorite. And um, they had renovated this house in Louisiana where we lived. And it had like, it was shaped like an L. Uh, like the long part was like the, in the front, it was fancy and all this stuff. And then it had an L, kind of like a wing on the side. And that was where Ding and Cole and me lived. And I, excuse me, is where I, Cole, Cole and I, my brother and I. And, um, uh, and so, uh, we would, we would go back in there and, um, and, and it was like, we had our own little wing and, um, Ding had twin beds in her room and she would let my brother stay in the one twin bed and I would sleep on the floor and Friday nights, you know, the most fun thing ever was Ding would let us, she'd make dinner. We would we would get TV trays. She had these like uh, bamboo kind of rattan sort of trays. And we would load them up and we would go into the room and we'd put on TV with Ding. Like she had some shows she liked to watch and she'd let us watch them with her. Then we're talking like 1978, 1979, you know, 80, that kind of era. Uh, and uh, 
I just love that. I'd sleep on the floor. You know, I just, I would sleep on the floor in, in her room. And, uh, um, well, she would make that, a, that, those pork chops for me and the, and the fried rice and just, she'd say, what do you want when you, you know, you took, take some big test, or you had something going, I could pork chops, fried rice. She'd, she'd make that up for me. Um, my brother was a pit, finicky eater. And so she spoiled him. She would make him special dishes and all. It always upset me because I felt like it was disrespectful to dig, but, uh, that he wouldn't just eat what she cooked, but she loved it. She always had a pot of rice on for him. He would eat separate. He'd have his little separate and precious little meal like he needed. You know, he, he, oh, he just wanted a ham sandwich, whatever. Ding would make him his little, little special precious meal. And, and I would just, I would just, I, I, honest to God, would eat everything she put in front of me because I felt like it was my way of showing her love. One, it was really good. But two, I felt like it was respectful and, I would, I, I never, there, there's not a gift or a card Ding gave me that I ever threw away. If she gave me something, I, I treasured it, you know. And, um, and, and, you know, when I went to camp as a little boy, I went away to camp and, uh, Ding would, um, Ding would send me, uh, care packages. And it was just like they were the best, you know, because just because they came from her, you know, they weren't, it was just, I don't know how to explain it. I just loved it. It made me miss her so much. And when I went away to boarding school, you know, I never knew this because I just thought she was like, you know, I just never wanted to disappoint her. But, you know, she, um, she said she, t she opened up to someone and she said that she would cry every night when I was gone. Because she worried about me not eating. You know, she knew. I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. I wouldn't go. I didn't like to spend. I think it's still the thing. Like, I love being a host. I hate being a guest. I travel the world, all this stuff. But I do not like staying in other people's houses. And I think it started when I was under, you know, Ding's wing. Because no, nobody could feed me like Ding did, you know. I was always hungry when I was at somebody else's house. You know, I was an athlete. I was doing, man, I was always starving, you know, and Ding was worried about me. And she cried. And I never knew that, you know, and then I learned that later that she would cry, but worried about me being fed enough. Gosh, she was amazing. Um, as she got older, she got, you know, back in the late 70s, they came up with this dish. They called it Buffalo Chicken, Buffalo Wings. And it was, uh, there was this like restaurant up in Buffalo, New York that actually pioneered it. And um, Ding found out about it. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You never had wings like Ding made them. And uh, she would bake them. She would do them in this way that it was almost like the meat was falling off the bone. So, yeah, there, you know, a lot of really good stuff. And, and, and the food and Ding were, were certainly a big part of my story. You know, food and me, it's a big thing, you know, and I love I get excited about food and, and I have tales about food and ding and the food. Boy, it just really is intertwined. And I know a lot of this is super selfish and I'm sorry um, because it is, it feels very gratuitous or selfish or self-centered or self, you know, just, it's just my story and, and I get excited about it. And I'm trying to share it, but you know, I, I hope, I hope I'll be forgiven for taking your time on things that seem so personal, but I do think it's like, you know, just that every human has got, got some interesting stitches in, in, in their, in their quilt, so to speak. Um, you know, um, Ding would, Ding would, when she would, speaking of treasures, you know, she would get me things sometimes. If she gave me a gift, uh, I held on to it. And, and like I was saying, there were 
three types of guys that would come door to door in our neighborhood. The people selling magazines, I didn't really see them till much later, but you know, back in the 70s, there'd be these people selling educational books. And she bought these records for me um, that were about like being a good kid and about having patience and being a godly kid. You know, she wasn't religious, really. I never, I never really heard her talk about religion. She, she never, I think she had a very uh, tumultuous history that I can get into maybe in another episode. Certainly, there's a lot of pathos involving Ding's life and her relationship with my family that I think bears some exploration. But, um, you know, when it comes to um, religion, you know, where Ding is from is a very strongly Muslim uh, part of the world, I believe. But there's also a lot of Catholicism. And so... You know, Ding, I, she would never really come. I could never get her to explain whether she was Muslim or she was Catholic. I think she was kind of both, to be honest with you. And I know, you know, that's people say, oh, that's you can't be that. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, how can you live with somebody for 50 years and not know that? I don't know. She would say, I'm Muslim, you know. And I think she would do that just to piss people off or something or get in their face down in the South, like, you know, a little bit. But she wasn't like that, though. I, um. Maybe she just said that to me to mess with my head to be like, I don't know what Islam is. I don't know what Muslim is. I'm, I'm seven or something, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I just know that I loved her. She was the closest thing to God that I'll ever know. She's closest thing to Mother Teresa, somebody like that who had no wants, no, no ills, no, never did wrong in her life as far as I know, you know, it was just nothing but love and giving and, and tender and, and, and guileless and honest and, frugal, every absolute charitable, generous, um, every, every attribute you think about your, 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 um, character traits and things, she possessed those and she had no vices that I know of. None. Isn't that crazy? You know, um, what an amazing woman. And, um, Anyway, she bought those records for me, and I tore those up, and I'd listen to them. And then I remember when she came, she came and she said, "Hey, um, I was having a little little sleepover with some friends in elementary school. And we were listening to the radio, and probably some disco back then. Don't judge." Um, and she brought in Ike and the Ikeettes, you know, Tina Turner, you know, that kind of, you know, they were called the Ikeettes, I think, back then. And, She's like, you need to listen to some real rock and roll, you know, and this is stuff they listen to in the Philippines, you know, like rolling on the river and proud, you know, proud Mary and, uh, Creedence Clearwater revival kind of thing. And that was cool. I didn't know it was cool at the time. You know, I was thinking about the Bee Gees and stuff and, uh, um, which is decidedly not cool, but, um, anyway, <laughs> anyway um, you know, I remember I'm going to tell just a couple little more anecdotes and then and then I'll I'll, I'll sign off. Um, you know she was she she was godmother to my kids. She was at my wedding. She was at my graduations. I handed her my diplomas. I said these are for you. I never wanted anything that she didn't want for me, you know. 
but I knew she, there were things I did that disappointed her. I know that. I know there were things that I was living that I wasn't living right. You know, there were some things when I was little. I, I there's one thing that I, I wish I could take back. I mean, one I think I, I think if I could go back and I could have her in my life, I would just spend more time with her. Um, I, I should have spent more time with her in the end of her life. You know, with she was with my parents. Um, but when I was little, I was in a store with her. And I made a big show about talking about my mom. And it, I don't know if she said something to me later or I was doing this a bunch. I mean, I was little. And this is kind of, I'm sure I was embarrassed. You know, I've got, I'm here. Everybody thinks that Ding's my mom. And I'm little and I'm in a town with a bunch of racists. And there's all kinds of racial racial disharmony and things like that. And people are making fun of me at school. And, you know, and. And I made a big deal about saying something about, well, mom wants us to do, you know, and, and, and I looked at her, you know, and she looked at me and she knew what I was doing. And I thought I was so fucking clever. I was like nine years old or eight, you know, 10, whatever. I was little. It doesn't matter. I knew what I was, you know, I, I wish it, it, there's a lot I wish I could take back in my life, but that's one of them. Cause she looked at me like, I know what you're doing. You know, and I know I'd hurt her. I wish I could take that back. Boy, I wish I could take that back. Um, one time someone got hit by a car in front of our house. And I heard a boom. And then I heard moaning. I didn't hear screams or nothing. And I got out and there was this like old station wagon pulling to the side of the road right in front of our house on this boulevard. And I heard this, oh, you know, like moaning. And my God, I jumped over the hedge. I went running so fast. I thought it was Ding, and it was one of the neighbor's daughters who was like, you know, she was, maybe she was in high school or college or something. She was kind of a grifter, you know. Uh, she was out partying or doing so. I don't know why she was out on our road and why she got hit by a car, but she wasn't hurt very badly for sure. But I know, and this is kind of embarrassing to say, but I was completely relieved and happy when I saw her because it wasn't Ding. I thought Ding had been hit by a car, and I was just absolutely gonna lose my mind and then I saw it was just you know somebody else and and I was relieved and I'm kind of embarrassed about that but I'm also kind of just willing to admit that's how I felt um so Ding died of dementia and Alzheimer's type symptoms I suppose I don't I don't really know and that'll be a time for another another day but I remember when we lost her you know, when we lost, when, when she, she couldn't tell us who the president was and it was Obama and, um, and Ding could tell, you know, she could name every president. She could name every capital of every state in the union. And when she couldn't tell me who the president was, I knew things were bad. And, um, you know, anyway, it's just one of those things, you know, that, that, this is a person who I wouldn't be who I am without her, you know, and, 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 and good and bad things that, that I endured. Um, but the bad things are tiny, you know, when they showed people, you showed people whose real character and all the way they treated Ding and me. But, you know, I'm so glad I had her in my life.
she was just, I'm so glad I could know what it's like to love someone like I love my children, you know, like I love Ding like I love my children. Like my children, yeah, they can get on my nerves and make me afraid and things like that, but I love them. I will die for them. There's never a day that I wish they weren't my children. And that's how I felt about Ding, you know, just like, I love you. Like I'm, I'm loved by you. Like I will always love you. I'm just so grateful. So, you know, Mr. Rogers up there in heaven, your speech at Dartmouth College in 2003, who is that person who wanted what was best in your life? And, you know, do you think we could be doctors and lawyers and pharmacists and engineers and, you know, truck drivers or anybody or college degree or a doctorate or whatever if, if we didn't have people? You're right. I had such a person. As Jack London said, there's circumstances, meetings under circumstances, which make men remember. Well, I'll tell you what I remember, and I hope I never forget that beautiful, oh my God, her laugh when she was lit, listening to like Gilligan's Island or Hogan's Heroes or something on the TV, she would laugh and it was this beautiful, loud laugh. This is before she got cancer and her laryngeal nerve was cut. She couldn't, you know, she had a more raspy voice after that, but her laugh was just so beautiful. And, you know, when she would, she would, she would stroke my hair when I was feeling down or sick. And I knew that she would never let anything happen to me. All right. Well, that's good enough for tonight. We are painstaking about this phase of our development. We will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the words serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, thank you for allowing me to create this podcast and come to 20 episodes and share my stories of my experience, strength, and hope with such beautiful people, those who are suffering inside and outside the rooms. Thank you for all the great comments and people who have shown me love. And and most of all, God, thank you for bringing Ding into my life and protecting me, nourishing me when I was down, comforting me when I needed comfort, helping me through some very hard times and seeing me to the greatest heights of achievement. I hope everyone can have somebody like that in their life. 
who who wants what's best for them. And God, we know you want that. I love you. And I love you, Ding, wherever you are. I know you're smiling on me, and I'm trying to make you proud. Good night, everyone. Amen.